This is Changeling the Podcast. Welcome to Changeling the Podcast. Come for the glamour, stay for the vibes. I'm your host, Josh, and with us is your other host, Puka. Say hi, Puka. Friends, Romans, inanimate objects, lend me your ears. What are we talking about today, Puka? Inanimate objects. Well, not exactly. So we're going to talk about the inanime, the fae who occupy mostly natural landforms, occasionally crafted objects and other sort of humanoid things. But mm-hmm. yeah. Those fae who chose not to inhabit meat, but instead other stuff. Yes. And it's funny because they talk about all the inanimate things walking around. And I'm like, I think that's not inanimate anymore, but that's a whole other. Yes. Anyway, well, anyway we, have a whole, we have a whole book to dig into these and other related questions. So yes, this was uh, another published in 1998 book. There's a lot of 98 books in there. The Heyday. Yep. Rob Barrett, Roger Gadreau, Stefan Herman, R.S. Martin, and Angel McCoy are the... A quick search of the White Wolf Wiki indicates that Rob Barrett and Stefan Herman apparently never wrote anything else for Changeling. Angel McCoy we've seen many times. Roger Gaudreau has a couple of credits, including Book of Lost Dreams. Robert Scott Martin has a couple of credits, including the first edition core book. Hmm. You know, this explains something. I'll say <laughs> this book, in a way, even though it's not similar to, does remind me of Dreams and Nightmares. And that might explain the bunch of writers who did basically not much else in terms of Changeling or even World of Darkness. Would, uh... I sometimes suspect that in cases like this, it's there's a single author, in this case, Angel McCoy, perhaps, who kind of like had a group of people that they were running a changeling game and said, hey, do you all kind of want to just write passages for this book I've been assigned? Mm-hmm. And this is a book where I think this is of the books so far since they went to the the only co- color is the cover, where I'm really feeling the lack of color from the... Yeah. It needed to be in color. As I've said before, it is a criminal act to have black and white Rebecca Guay art. I mean, mm-hmm. But like you're talking about like, you know, flame people and tree people and water people yeah. bright colors and all description i'm like oh yeah it just doesn't do justice to have these mm-hmm. black and white images oh and this is printed in the usa very explicitly so <laughs> well that explains a lot more too so we start off with a piece of fiction which i think is probably one of the strongest opening fiction pieces in changeling on par with something mm-hmm. like autumn people it really sets the tone for the book and shows who the inanime are without telling too much, like without getting pedantic about it, really gives yep. a glimpse into their worldview. It's an excellent story, does a good job of that, and also hits into something I think is going to be a theme of this book, though, that's a criticism where one of the big plot points kind of contradicts something else that the book keeps harping on in other <laughs> chapters. Do we want to give a little rundown of it? Yeah, so it's essentially the story of a kubera, which is a dryad or tree spirit, a fae who bonded with a tree rather than a mortal reincarnating body, however you want to represent the changeling way. Mm -hmm. And she awakens 
when there are some kids playing around her tree. She sees that the world has changed. One of the kids turns out to be a she childling who kind of makes friends with her and introduces her to the world of the changelings as it is in the present day. And slowly she explores the mortal world in all of its beauty and tragedy. Mm-hmm. And meets some other inanime. Yeah. And some of the other inanime include like a... Oh, I'm bad at the names of the air and anime and fire and anime. The Parasims and the Solemons. Yes, Parasims. And the Parasim, like in anime, we'll get into this more later, but in anime, like have a dream form, it's what it's called, and then kind of a husk. And the she childling can see her dream form, but can't see the Parasim dream form. But this Kubera can see the dream form which isn't mentioned later in the mechanics either. Just little things. There is a note in the Pyrocene birthright, I think, but that's skipping way ahead. Oh, it is? Okay. I think. Anyway, we'll I'm get like, to that I'm later. Looking at the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It does set up other things that are well, like uh, Kubera are okay with death because it's just the natural cycle. If the death brings renewal, like fire and things like that. Yeah, it's a very nice little story. I mean... Mm-hmm given how hit or miss opening fiction can be. It also, mm-hmm. tonally, it kind of reminds me, did you ever read the sci-fi story They're Made of Meat? No, I have not. It was written by Terry Bisson, or mm-hmm. Bisson, maybe. And it's essentially just dialogue between two characters. And it kind of eventually becomes clear that they are these two sort of like energy beings who have visited Earth and are kind of talking about the bizarre meat creatures that they've just encountered. And they just keep using the word meat. So the one's like, but how do they communicate with meat? Because that's that's what tongues are made of and that's what mouths are made of. So it's just, you know, it was a very amusing sort of story. Anyway, meat is a recurring theme for the anatomy. Mm-hmm. Then we get into the introduction. <laughs> so yeah, I think it does a good, it sets up like what it's like to, like inanimate things aren't animate. Maybe they are. If you're, maybe you're, but it's like, remember your dolls move around when you're not looking, and there's definite Toy Story references there, and yeah, Bella Jean Rabbit. And... We've talked about sort of film and TV inspirations for Changeling, but you could do a whole separate set of inspirations just for Anime and Toy Story would probably be at the top of the list for the mannequins, yep. at least. There's also some of the usual tone that you get in Changeling books where it's like, remember when the world was magical and then you grew up, it was all dead and unliving. It turns out that's a lie. And it's just like, all right, yeah, you know, this is like the 20th book in this in the series. We get it. I, I never had that, but okay. <laughs> I think I'm just noticing it because we've seen it so many times in a row. <laughs> I do like, though, how they emphasize not just the alienness of the anime, even in relation to other fae, but also they point out kind of from the start that the empire that the anatomy belonged to. So they use the, there, there's a whole bunch of terms here that are useful to have, um, but the empires refer to the different sort of elemental associations for the different phyla, mm-hmm. which is the equivalent of the kiths. So the empire of seeds for the Kubera, who are the tree people, the empire of tears for the Undines, who are the water, et cetera, et cetera. And they note here that the empire, in addition to kind of being the political structure, is the lens through which the anatomy see the world. And I kind of like that because it suggests that 
they shouldn't all be kind of lumped together as this group of mm-hmm. kids. It's like the Undines and the Solomons are as different from each other as the Undines and the trolls or the, the, yeah. You know. Yeah. I think it also really emphasizes they're not changelings as right. the important thing. Like if you had a Puka that never went through the changeling way and you had a Solomon that did somehow, maybe the Solomon would have a lot more in common with the Kithane than the Puka would because they never believed they were human or anything like that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it raises the question, does that individualism push against like their court or whatever mm-hmm. it is, the, the crofted versus gladling distinction? Because that I feel like is how a lot of players do the silly unsealy thing. You know, you kind of have a balance of the two personally and then politically. It's most players just kind of pay lip service unless you're doing a very highly political game. And I feel mm-hmm. like we get there's a little bit of that same feel here. Yep. Yeah. And it gets it gets a little bit confusing. And I think this is a thing that when I see people talking about an anime, when you're just because you already brought it up, we have the empires and we have the phyla. But each empire gets exactly one phyla yeah. described in any detail. And that's like the full player character stats. A few maybe named it. I don't think every empire gets even in passing other phyla names. So... But it is suggested that they do exist. Yeah, it's really easy to conflate the two. So, Yeah. Well, briefly, just running through some of this terminology, we have the anchor, which is kind of the equivalent of a freehold. It's where the anatomy goes to kind of recover when they need to. It also determines whether they are a gladling. That means their anchor has never been sullied or repurposed and torn down and turned into something by humans. Or fey. You can also be turned into crofted. Or fey. Yeah. Yeah. Or crofted, which means it has been. <laughs> they have their dream form, which is their natural sort of fey mean. And they cover it with the facade or the husk, which is an artificial humanoid form that they create. So similar to the mortal seeming. They refer to themselves as the sessile ones because for long periods of time, they can enter slumber or somnolence, which mm-hmm. is like a very long slumber where they kind of retreat from the world and sleep in their anchors. The length of time that they've been awake determines what's called their je, just the equivalent of seeming. So it is divided into childling, wilder, and grump, which we'll get into what that means for them. The phyla are the kith that have the slow empires. And probably my favorite term is for the autumn world, the land of unfulfilled yeah. dreams. So, Yeah, I was going to bring that up too. That's it's great. Yeah. Gorgeous. I like both the terms, but yeah. Yeah. And that's the intro. A brisk intro. Yep. Let me get... Uh chapter one the lost days starting with a picture that's showing how a lot of an anime will wear bulky clothing to try especially the gloams to cover up who they they, like that they're not great at having their husk look you know human so at least not at first yeah i really wasn't sure what to make of this opening fiction we get like in character who's part of the glass circle the glass circle being an association of kithane who tries to like make contact with the anatomy and gather information about them. He comes back in chapter two. Here he's talking with Gloams. There he's talking with Undines. But it's just like these two little vignettes that don't really connect or go anywhere. So I'm not really sure mm-hmm. what to do with it. It might be. Yeah, because we have Count Trevor of House Elena doing a history of the anatomy. I don't know. Assuming it's even the same person in both chapters. 
In any case, throughout this chapter, there's this deep sort of animist thread that I appreciate in terms of kind of talking about the inner life of nature and what appears to be inanimate. And given that we're also going to be talking about Land of Eight Million Dreams, the inspiration for which is drawn, at least in part, from Shinto and the Kami of Japan, that animism is something which Land of Eight Million Dreams, I feel, lacks. And I'm very glad to see it in here instead. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad to see it somewhere. What What's funny, reading this book, because I, I hadn't read this before I was reading for this show, uh, we'll be at some point doing Exalted the Fair Folk, which its own status but it draws heavily from this book actually i'm realizing interesting like whoever wrote it definitely read in a secret way and wanted to make sure their sort of unified fey mechanics fit with this it's been i think i can say at this point decades plural since i flipped through at least the first edition exalted fair folk book so yeah but it's just i'm just going through like oh my goodness this is that'll be something to note for Next season when we do that. Yep. Also, can I just say, I love this spontaneous generation sidebar. Mm-hmm. It's just so goofy and I love it. Okay, this gets into another thing. The, the, the terminology that you hear, they talk a lot about fae spirits. And now I'm just like, why did you have to use that word from yeah. in the World of Darkness book? Because it's all just, we've had this sort of discussions like, what is the umbra? What is the dreaming? What are spirits? What are chimera? What well, yeah, like, so this this book comes right up to the blurry line between nature fey, the inanime, and nature spirits, the nature, to use the, I guess, major werewolf term, or elementals. So that line is already so blurry, and they don't really address it here, which I, I found mm-hmm. a little bit not confusing necessarily, but very noticeable in how carefully they avoided directly going into that debate. But I feel like it's an unavoidable yeah. kind of thing to hash out. They do at one point in a later chapter get even more yeah. talking about it a little bit, but not quite directly still. But... I have notes when we get to that point. So. <laughs> yep. But in the meantime, we have here a, a history of the anatomy. Yeah. So this is, uh, they even say it in the introduction, this is all in character. And this hmm. is a she's description of the history of the anime. They, so they come across as more human might be the wrong word, but neat. That's <laughs> their motivations and their history. But the idea was Faye could be anything. There were no kiths. You just turn into other things. And sometimes you'll be, I don't know, a sword. And sometimes you'll be a cow. And sometimes you'll be a human looking thing. And, and, and then... As banality was building up, they started forced upon more things, and then you sort of had to pick a side with the summer sundering coming in. Although the empires may have predated that still. But yeah. You had the sundering where, okay, they've been locked into more form, but they're still physical. There's no or there's no mists really yet. But there's more and more crofted coming in and during after the sundering, but before the shattering, what? Is the war of making where you have a kind of Promethean myth almost of the, mm-hmm. oh, what were the fire and anime again? I, I, the Solomons. The Solomons gave the gift of fire to humans, but not just fire, like taught them crafting. So they started crafting, shaping uh, the anchors of an anime. And then there was a giant war over it against Solomons, but also crafted against Gladelings, which are the uncrafted ones. 
and the crofted lost but in the end they had way more crofted than gladelings so but the solomon's lost did you have avatar the last airbender no i didn't intro vibes <laughs> no Until the fire cool. nation came anyway yeah <laughs> although the fire nation's big is all about yeah let's teach human stuff Hmm. Yeah, no, it's kind of like inverted. Yeah, but yeah, I just I just kept thinking like then the Fire Nation. Anyway, yeah. Um, oh, and it talks about the Rubina a little bit, but just a little from the yeah. Rubina. It's like yeah, the Wick did were involved, and uh, cool little also sidebar talking about a ship of the four quarters. I thought that was a cool. Oh like, my god, I loved here. that. Yeah, it's it's made of all the elements, but there was maybe some sort of oath breaking or something in the end and all the elements returned to their empires and the ship was destroyed. But it was like a ship that could sail anywhere. Yeah, it bugs me when you have a line like, although the ship figures in several fairy legends, its fate is not clear. So first I'm like, well, I've never heard of it. And second, don't tease me with a line like that. You know, this this mm-hmm. chapter kind of makes allusions to these adventures that the Inanime would have or that other fae would have with them, but it like doesn't go into any detail. There's just brief mentions of things like, oh, there were sacred groves that mortals mistook the inanime for nature spirits and oh they held excalibur for arthur but it's like you could go in so many cool directions i don't know maybe i would dislike it if it went into too much detail about those and too far in the other Mm -hmm. direction i think having that for this age of legends makes sense so let's have some legends so yeah did you ever see the merlin miniseries from the 90s vaguely didn't with sam neill and helena bonham carter and everything because that has I mean, the primary conflict is kind of between really an anime because you have like the Lady of the Lake and she's a water elemental and Queen Mab, mm-hmm. who's an air elemental. And then Excalibur is held by a giant gloam voiced by James Earl Jones, which oh, of course. is pretty cool. All gloams so, should be voiced by someone like James Earl Jones. Yeah. But that's what I think of when I think about mythic in anime. Mm-hmm. That and Captain Planet. Yeah. So the maker war where like the pairs of like, definitely lost big, but the crofted came out ahead so kind of everybody lost then when the shattering happened they sort of jumped to that so i have no idea when the war of making was it seems like it went on for a long time because the empires are slow yeah but i have no idea how long before the shattering it it concluded yeah then we have the shattering and yeah wait it says it right here this is way worse than what happened to the cathane (laughs) essentially i guess it would be like it's like what would happen to the cathane if like you know, the Cathay didn't adopt the Changeling way and didn't go to Arcadia. Like, most of them did not go to Arcadia. I think some may retreat to the Dreaming, but not maybe not the phyla that we have here. There's like ancient other phyla hinted at that maybe retreated to the Dreaming at this point. And everyone kind of went into that long-term slumber yep. in their anchors for the most part. Uh, occasionally, some would come out of it for a little bit and usually fall right back into it from banality during the interregnum and some of them were supported actually by commoner kithane but or by mages or by other cultists and then sort of before the resurgence like there was still an anime popping up a little bit during the interregnum but not many and then before just before the resurgence they started more and more coming out of their solomons and the resurgence happens and then there's the accordance war where the anime kind of played both sides and it depends on which anime and some of them didn't really get involved and some like the, the gloams got involved right near the end because they took a while to make decisions. And... Yeah. yeah. It seems to be like 
even though they didn't have that much of an impact in the war, when they participated, they had a notable effect. Oh, and the Count Illinid for this is so anti-commoner. It's... Yeah. What did he call it? He called it the reassertion, known popularly at least the Accordance War. It's like, oh my... And talked about the, like... Yeah. Basically referred to all commoners as terrorists unless they were siding. He also yeah. keeps calling the Ondines the merfolk. And I'm like, hmm, I guess this came out before Blood Dimmed Tides. Yeah. Although maybe it's all in characters. Maybe he just got confused. Yeah. Anyway, then the war ended, and now other Feyno, they exist. Kind of. Yep. Yay. But they still largely avoid the Cathane. As they should. I mean, Cathane, let's be honest, they're not always great news. No. Although it's not like the Inanime are great news to each other either, so. Fair. It also points out that because they were kind of waking up decades before the resurgence even, they sort of woke up in the middle of the Industrial Revolution, which is maybe the worst time for a nature fae to kind of wake up. Mm -hmm. And certainly they found that there were a lot more crofted than when they had gone to sleep. Yep. And a lot of them went to sleep, gladelings, and woke up crofted. That's what happens when you're sitting in an anchor for 500 years and colonialism Mm -hmm. happens. Yeah, it's kind of confusing when it's like the the parasomes and you're like, you went to sleep and you were a wind and you woke up in a flute. Flute. Yeah, I'd be confused too. I do love the sidebar that ends this chapter though, where the gloam comes back and like accuses the she of being an oathbreaker for not protecting anchors. And the she's like, what are you talking about? And the gloam just like carries him away and nobody ever finds him again. Yeah, and the dreaming sided with the oathbreaking aspect of that. Yep. Because he did. He might not remember it now, but he definitely ran away to Arcadia instead of keeping up his oath. Mists or no, the Dreaming always remembers. Mm-hmm. We have uh, Chapter 2, Empires of the Inanimaic. I hate that word. <laughs> I get it, but... So again, we have like this little opening fiction. The Undine's extraordinaire, Jeff, Jeff, and Karen. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. I do think it opens with a really excellent sort of treatise on, like I was saying, the animism. So spirits versus chimera and what distinguishes the inanime. My sense from this write-up is the spirits are almost like the dreams of an object, but the chimera are the dreams projected onto an object, if that makes sense. Dreams that come from an object versus dreams that others have about an object. And that's one distinction. Yeah. This, this has an interesting, uh, when we do get called at the fair book, this is, this is one of those things Walking Over Katie also talked about, but, nah. and they do talk about it here actually too. Like, what is the difference between a chimera and a fae? Yeah, 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 yeah. And this book seems to suggest there is one and it's their soul, but we'll get it. Well, the other piece is the sense of mortality and self-preservation. Yeah. Which arguably a sentient chimera also has, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, like, it doesn't go enough in depth to kind of, like, really bring on the philosophical wrangling, but I'm Mm -hmm. glad that it addresses it and kind of gets the gears turning. And before people bring up Dark Ages Fae as this thing, Dark Ages Fae does have the Fae and the Anatomy as two separate groups still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's talk of the making war as the defining conflict in their society, sort of the equivalent of nobles versus commoners. I think the roles of the Solomons in kind of precipitating the war, even if they didn't mean mm-hmm. to, and the mannequins who 
everyone is freaking out about. <laughs> I think those yeah. are kind of the, the really interesting pieces. Here. I'd say it's 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 less normal versus common or more sealy versus unsealy. Well, yeah, I suppose. I don't know, though. Like, maybe almost both at once, because the Gladelings certainly seem to have a sort of haughtier-than-thou attitude. Yeah. Yeah, sealy versus unsealy, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> They're haughty unsealy, too, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm joking. Either way, it's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they don't quite have the noble commoner distinction. They have a yeah status thing, multi-tiered status thing, but that's like that's just how societies work. It's not. Yeah, there's also notes that the gladelings, in the same way as the Shia, the lost ones, are particularly terrified of banality, and then the crofted are more interested in interacting with meat-based fay. So. Mm-hmm that distinction also uh, factors in. Yep. And I love the note about like Kithane who make oaths to protect anchors. And then as we saw at the end of the previous chapter, what happens when those are broken? So there's opportunities here for showing how inanime and Kithane or Galane can either see eye to eye or kind of have irreconcilable differences. One thing they do have uh, they do have some similarities to the Kithane, though, in some ways. You have their Awakening, which is like the Chrysalis, sort of, but more gradual, mm. I'd say. And they do have Fosterage still, which is a lot more like Kithane Fosterage. Just they try to keep it within the, in anime, and ideally within your uh, empire. Yeah. Although, they'll take what they can get, with the exception yep. of Solomons. Solomons must foster Solomons, which seems to be more like a political choice than anything. Yeah, I think it's no one else wants to. Yeah. I could see the occasional mannequin doing it, but... I really love the image that they present here of a gloom awakening in a wall that they've been crafted into and slowly reshaping the graffiti that's been drawn on it into something more dreamlike. I think that's a really cool idea. But yeah, they spend time trying to get their bearings on the changed world and they practice forming a humanoid husk, which we saw in the opening fiction. We saw that process. Although they all have kind of a humanoid dream form and it talks about the yeah. dream forms very vulnerable to banality in a way that i don't know if we get proper mechanics like really explaining it but we do later on with the husk in particular like yeah. we get mechanics for how much the husk protects we, okay so we do get enough mechanics to explain if you were walking yeah. in your dream form what that means okay because they risk banality when they're conspicuously inhuman and the better their husk is the less chance yeah, of that. But if they're not in a husk, they're not conspicuous at all, are they? Because no one can see them unless they're enchanted. I think it's kind of like with denizens, where if they go about in the world unprotected, yeah. or chimera, like of any kind, really, then banality can erode them more directly. I think maybe this is the time to bring up. I mean, we can do this in the summary here. This book is very evocative. Mm-hmm. The writing feeling is very good, and that can it's it's I, I wrote down this is an awesome first draft <laughs> when it actually comes down to things you can be like wait a sec you said this but there's that and it's we're starting to get into that territory here so it's just there is a run of these books in second edition i think we first saw it with dreams and nightmares and we'll see it again with yeah. land of eight million dreams and denizens of the dreaming where yeah. every page is just dripping with ideas that are completely disconnected from the main body of Changeling and yeah. often don't line up. 
and often were written by authors who didn't really have a grounding in well, the game line. Well, this this book's disconnected from in anime. <laughs> that's my that's my bigger problem. Like mm. there there's inconsistencies within the book in ways that an editor should have caught. That's well, it also had five authors. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's something from page thirty one which we've kind of moved past, but I. I this is the quote. The Emperor of the Solomons attempted to explain his views and how his people felt that the anime had to change or be undone like the Tuatha de Danan. Yes, I noticed that too. <laughs> it was like, very whoa! <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, it's very in-character belief. It's like an in-character description of somebody else's in-character belief, So, like, but like, still. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the writing is evocative enough that I'm willing to roll with the inconsistencies yeah. until it becomes necessary to actually deal with them. And when you get down to it, like it's a second ed book. And if you're playing C20, consistency matters a little bit less, I think, from a second ed <laughs> book. They do mention that when an anime awaken, they put out waves of glamour, much like when a Kithane goes through the chrysalis, but that they're much more subtle. Other inanime can detect mm -hmm. them, but generally not Kithane unless they have a very high kenning. And I kind of want to know, what is the necessary kenning for that? Because that seems relevant to if you want to incorporate them into a story. So they've never. I don't think they get into it explicitly. But there's a lot of things where maybe an anime should get a lower difficulty on certain kenning rolls than a kithane for anime related things. Yeah. Uh, so here on page 33, it says, "Here it is. In order to survive the pressing weight of banality, they must form their own bodies called husks. And an anime who remains in dream form for long outside of his anchor withers away and may be lost forever." Yeah. So that's why. But I don't think we get proper mechanics on what that actually means. Yeah, I think it's yeah, it's somewhere. If she's even touched by iron while in her dream form, she's immediately snapped back to her anchor and driven into a state of slumber. Yeah. I do like that when talking about the reasons why an anime would want to take on a husk and leave their anchor, one of the sufficient reasons is chocolate. I'd like to try it. Mm -hmm. Seems reasonable. But yeah, they, they can recover glamour well in it, in their anchor, and they don't really have to worry about bedlam will in their anchor mm. yet one maybe in theory some in anime just be like i'm just gonna stay in my anchor unless my anchor's threatened but but they're curious yeah but there may be some that aren't we just don't hear about them because it's just sitting in their anchor and then they just go back to sleep i'll note with interest that the anchors they have a near dreaming expression so you know you go inside the hollow tree and find that it's much bigger on the inside and very well furnished because you're in near dreaming but also that each of them is linked to their empire's homeland in the deep dreaming, mm -hmm. if you recall from Dreams and Nightmares. So it makes me think that's one possible opportunity to get a group of changelings into the deep dreaming is to have them make friends with an anime. But it also says some of those connections are blocked or damaged. For sure. Too. Well, that's a story to find one. Mm -hmm. If an anchor is destroyed, that's real bad. Yeah. Oh man, what if a Kithane like destroyed an anchor thinking it was just dross? Hmm. There's a story right there. Oh, they can find a new anchor in theory. Yes, they just have to do it. And quickly. they can actually switch. They can actually choose to switch anchors too. They mentioned that a few times. So then we find out more about the Gladelings and the Crofted and the different phyla and their associated empires. Most mm -hmm. scholars of the Glass Circle number the slow empires at six. Stones, tears, skies, flames, seeds, and dolls. But that's scholars of the slow empires, not right. This is these are Kithane. Modern. This yeah. is Kithane information. 
Yeah, there's a rumor. There's like somewhere in here, there's a tiny little rumor. Empire of the Flick, Empire of Flickers, which does officially exist now in C twenty. So. Oh, it does. Okay. Yeah. I think it's listed in the C20 section. But yes, here it's suggested yeah. that it might be recognized. It's spirits of who take bodies from conditions of artificial light, including film, television broadcasting, computer transmission. Although maybe they're also sunbeams, gladelings of them. Who knows? But... There are notes here that the Empire of Flames is sort of diseased and wasted from after the war and the Solomon's mm-hmm. defeat. And the Solomon's set up a sort of puppet. Yeah. Lives in a gas fireplace in Manhattan. It makes me think he's hanging out in David's winter freehold. Hmm. There's reference to the tainted ones among the Ondines, and I'm like, I want info on them. Sounds like Ondine. Valet in anime. For sure. Might be working on that for a current project, but Hmm. putting that to one side. I do like that each phylum kind of has its own internal politics and then temperaments among the Gladelings versus the Crofted. And that they find Kithane politics to be kind of like hopelessly pedestrian and meaningless. Technically, it's each empire. Yes. Each empire and its associated phylum that the Glass Circle knows about. Yeah. The Empire of Tears with the Ondines is an Athenian-style democracy, apparently. That's my favorite empire name, I think, here. Empire of Tears. Probably not my favorite political system, though, because Athenian-style democracy is not nearly as great as it sounds. (laughs) I think it makes a great role-playing opportunity. I don't want it, but I don't want to live a role-playing, good role-playing game in general. The Kithane can be like, hey, Undine women, how would you like to own property and vote? (laughs) So... They don't mention that. (laughs) That No, they don't. There's not not really any mention of sexism among the... Well, hey, Athenian-style democracy, that's what we're talking about. Oh, and it's like only only some of them are citizens and most of them aren't? Right. <laughs> so then the Empire of Stones associated with the Gloams is kind of like a vaguely military meritocracy. Mm-hmm. Sure. The Empire of Skies is my favorite because it's basically anarcho-tribalism. Yeah, I, th- I feel like th- they really need to tie that back to Balloon and maybe like Balloon could be a puka. Adding this to my notes. Yeah, a puka parasome joint venture. <laughs> Full disclosure, the pirate teams are my favorites. Yep. The Empire of Flames, the displaced monarchy with the puppet emperor. Empire of Seeds has an elected monarchy. And then the Empire of Dolls with the mannequins. And it seems like they have no structure, but they they have black-robed ambassadors and emissaries who go out to yeah. the other courts. They don't even have a physical empire. They might have a spot in the dreaming. <laughs> where they meet yeah. but there's they're not living there it's not the other places are like there's territory this this mannequins are very uh land of unfulfilled dreams focused yeah and the empires are really beautifully described i have to say i mean i wish almost that we had i think we did maybe get more description in dreams and nightmares about some of them like the mm-hmm. sort of landscapes and architecture that you see there but i mean just Stick with an element and let your imagination run wild if you have to describe one. And it does say the Empire of the Stones does contain some chimerical cold iron. Dump, dump, dump. Chimerical iron, sorry, not colder. Well, not necessarily cold. It just says sources of iron. (laughs) What are your thoughts about these sort of random sidebars throughout? I guess it's it feels weird to me because some of them are from Count Aldred, who I thought was also writing this chapter oh so he's like 
intruding on his own text. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that feels like how I'd write a text, but I guess it's less intrusive than like having more in character fiction, but I don't know. It's still... mm-hmm. I like sidebars. I'm a big fan of them. If they're actual sidebars and not two pages of quote unquote sidebar. Maybe they're just his, his own fancy post-it notes on the manuscript. Mm-hmm. There is this nice little one. That's the riddle of trees, which I'll read in its entirety because it's short. Since you have approached us with respect, we shall tell you why the cutting and the burning do not concern the wood. It is not enough to say that the oak springs from the acorn, or that the rose bush grows from the seed. The oak and the acorn are one, and the oak lives on in the acorn even after the oak has been cut. As long as there is seed, we are stronger than death. If your husk flowers and fruits and goes to seed, then you will be reborn as you were when the seed sprouts, even though your husk has been cut and burned and shaped in the meantime. We know death, but we know that even death is but a seasonal sleep a pause in the dance of bodies. Could have been written by a Hyodu and similarly applicable to changelings on the Wheel of Incarnation. So I like that. I like that that's in there as a, a piece of Kubera philosophy. Mm-hmm. We get uh, the Codex Primeval, which is like their equivalent of the Escheat. Basically, preserve anchors, avoid mortals, don't kill each other, and obey your empire. So, or follow your empire. Yeah, honor and serve it. But yeah, it does say this precept is open to individual interpretation. Of course, it is. Yeah. Again, to the languages of the anime. Obviously, I wish there was more information about these. <laughs> it feels very D and D that bit. <laughs> There's like yes, a con of an anime, and then each of the empires. Yeah, uh, yeah. Each empire has its own dialect that only the inhabitants can understand. But the mannequins can understand all of them, but they don't get their own dialect. And then we have festival days. All of which are in the Book of Days. The solstices and the equinoxes. There's Remembrance Day for the Solomons. Mm -hmm. And that's your favorite secret societies. Yes. I think these are pretty cool, actually. I mean, secret societies are just stories waiting to happen. Yeah. They're not secret. That's the only issue I'd have. It's the secret yeah. way. But uh, including one called the Concordia. Yes. <laughs> not to make the Concordia. But then it says the Concordia later. It does, yeah. The Concordia records have one of the most extensive amounts of failure in existence. The glass circle often will consult the nobles of Concordia about certain matters. It's like, wait, wait. <laughs> um I like the Empire of the Machine because there's werewolf vibes. It's kind of like Weaver maddened nature spirits. Yeah. Overall, I, I do think like this book is great if you need spirits in your game, but you don't want to get into like werewolf or mage cosmology at all. Like, mm-hmm. here's your answer. You know, you don't necessarily have to have your anonyme all be awake and walking around in husks. You could have like when you use primal you're talking to an anime who's still in slumber. Uh, and then we get a few notes about who they do and do not hang out with. Spoiler, they don't really hang out with many other people. Mm-hmm. Except certain Kithane. And the occasional Verbena. Yeah, generally ones that will protect their their uh, anchor. That, maybe that's yeah. what would draw them into it. But as a whole, they're not big on talking to me. There's a reference to anchors being drained, which is a little confusing because even though... They kind of function like freeholds for the specific anatomy. 
it doesn't really translate the same way. And it's not like they have ratings. Like you don't have an anchor mm-hmm. rating. So yeah. I'm not sure how that works exactly. But yeah. yeah. That's chapter two. I have to say chapter one, but especially chapter two are probably the best in this book. I mean, I think, yeah. I, think <laughs> I, I do think the book's quality declines markedly the first <laughs> yeah well what happens is now we're on okay so chapter three taxonomy of secrets this is where the editor started to give up <laughs> well we're also getting crunchy and yes. systems and that's where things start to have problems uh yep let's get into it the anime you're saying Je. is yeah so they have the childlings wilders and grumps why don't they make up a new name for the anyway they're not you age through those things all of them do so that's making me wonder about uh what was that one that other book you did the kids book the gildu yeah it's right a bit of gildu but yep. uh another thing about it but yeah they have different starting beginning glamour beginning banality beginning willpower number of starting slivers changes this part is confusing and contradicts the later section and then as your banality somehow ages you through it also just living yes will age you through it dramatically i might add there's a reference later again there's Mm -hmm. a couple different references that contradict each other and it seems like different editing passes hit different parts of the book but at one point i think it says gaining a point of temporary banality ages your husk five years (laughs) like wait what yeah but i think that's the appearance not how many years until you still though but i mean we talked about like this is a second edge supplement we talked about like how second edge and first edge was very punishing for banality they don't have to walk quite the same range as Bedlam, the more Bedlam resistance, but oh my goodness, does banality hurt them. Yeah. They're not she, they don't get double. They get commoner levels of banality. Like they pick it up the same rate, but it really hurts them more to get that. Yeah. And then we get into the descriptions of the individual phyla, or at least the six that the glass circle knows the most mm-hmm. about. And one for each empire. And starting out with, uh, I believe this is the most appropriate use of this artist for the Gloam. Yes. Oh, Paul Phillips was born for Gloam art. Big, blocky, rocky person. Yep. Also mannequin art, I'll I'll grant. Yeah. This is really getting to my thinking. This is a good first draft, not a... The mechanics here, the birthrights and the frailties are like, I see what they're going for, but like... Not exactly balanced. Or not even just balanced. Sometimes it's confusing. Sometimes it's, we'll get into it later. Some of them don't really fit properly for the phyla, I don't think. Yeah. The tires were not fully kicked on these mechanics. It's Mm -hmm. true. For the sake of people who have only seen C20, the gloam, birth rates, and frailty, the strength of the stone and the weight of the stone are the same. But in this one, they're immune to all poisons and diseases. Whereas in C20, they just have eidetic memory. So. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, the weight of the stone, I find, the funny thing is, it's like even heavier not in their husks. Like their dream form's heavier than their husk. Like, wow. Uh, And it's like a thousand pounds is pretty common. I'm like, that, that's, I like that frailty because it hits. Like it, I think it works, but. Yeah. Then the Kuberas. This is less useful, that art artist for this. So they're listed as also known as dryads or nymphs, to the latter of which I say, pshaw. Yeah. But nymphs are water. Nymphs are all kinds. I mean, yeah. dryads are a type of nymph associated with trees. 
but not hamadryads because those are oak trees. I'll stop now. Um, so yeah, I think like it's interesting how all of the nymph stuff kind of slowly funneled down into just being another term for Kubera, mm-hmm. which I disagree with, but that's that's a discussion for another time. Hey, maybe some of the nymphs took a different route than the inanimate way. It's true. So in C20, the whatever birthright is, the glow has been nerfed a bit and kind of split into a birthright and frailty. They used to have mm-hmm. obsessive counting as a frailty in this book, uh, but that has been removed. Yeah, that was weird. It doesn't fit. Yeah. Anything else about that? I, I think it might be part of the folklore that they drew from, which, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, is South Asian. Oh, okay. So they're not vampires. Gotcha. No, no, no. Because Kubera is, I think, the god of wealth in Hinduism and is like uh... the ruler of the Yakshas, which are the tree spirits in Hindu mythology, mm-hmm. I believe. Then we have the Ondines, also called the Heart Collectors or the Nirids. Oh, I think one thing also we, we missed is they, they each have a sliver affinity, which is like an art affinity. Yes. Because they do have arts and realms, but they're it's different. Yeah. And it's it's what you would expect. The Gloams have Petros, which is the earth-based one. The Kuberas have mm-hmm. Verdage, which is the growing things-based one. The Ondines have Aquis, which is the watery one. And as in C20, they can turn into water and they're wounded on land. But here they have a siren song rather than just a poetic heart kind of thing. Well, this was also before mermaids, so... Yeah. Then the Parasims, also known as the Silphar or the Sprites or the Sylphs. This one needed to be color, this picture. Well, I don't know, because their dream forms are supposed to be transparent. So. Oh, that's true. Maybe it didn't. Okay, the Solomon's needed to be. Yeah, oh, for sure. I do like that it points out the Parasims, the, the tainted specimens are more visible because they have an unhealthy haze in their husks. And given like the wildfire smoke that's been trickling down yeah. over the past several weeks, I can understand that. Yeah, and uh, the frailty, I don't like chatterbox. Like, saying, like, they're supposed to be all flighty, not talky. Everything else talks about how flighty they are. Fickle, but now it's like, no, the frailties, they're chatterbox. I'm okay with it. I mean, as someone who does also compulsively tap their fingertips, <laughs> I empathize. Yeah, I just think I would have liked a more flighty flaw, frailty. Well, it right. doesn't mean they can't take that as a flaw. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they are affiliated with Stratus, the airy sliver. Then the Solomons. I think the Gloams and the Solomons get the most right up. They're kind of like the she and the trolls of, of mm-hmm. the anatomy. If the she were hated by everybody. Yeah. And not and lost the war. So they're the fire warriors. I kind of like the sort of fallen noble trope that they have going on. They're affiliated with Pyros, which is the fire sliver. And holy cats, gout of flame, the birthright. So there was a question on Discord maybe a month or two back where someone was like, hey, in the C20 book, the gout of flame birthright, there's no like mechanics for it. So how powerful is it actually? Turns out if you go by this book, it's pretty freaking powerful. <laughs> yeah. Spend a point of glamour, breathe six dice of fire damage, plus two more damage dice for each point of glamour invested. Yeah. Like that's that's pretty hefty. That's a flamethrower birthright. That's true. It compared to some of the other stuff. No birthright should be the equivalent of Pyretics 4 or whatever it is. Yeah. Although they do have Parasomes 
kind of have the equivalent of uh, Wayfair Three, Wayfair Three, Wayfair Four. Yeah, I mean, it does have a sort of punishing glamour cost, and the Solomon frailty, I will also admit, is a punishing banality cost. Yeah, because they cannot lie, and that's a weird thing. They're doing a C twenty banality check if they lie, but then get two points of banality. Yeah, like what? That's the only time I saw a banality, a roll for banality before C20, I think. Well, there are also the slumber checks coming up as well, which oh, reminds me of banality checks. But roll to gain banality. Roll. Yeah. And then the mannequins, who are by far the most numerous of all surviving inanimate phyla because they populate department store windows and whatever else. And toy shops, presumably. And homes with toys. And... Yes. Yeah, and it makes me think like a statue. It's like, yeah. is that yeah. a mannequin or is that a crafted glo- globe? Like a stone statue or something. Questions, questions. I could be either. So, Here's also where we get maybe our first big editing fail because they don't have birthrights or a frailty. So, oh! That's I not- did find, shout out to um, the long defunct Scattered Dreams page by Roger Frederick, I think. Roger the Issue where I scraped some information in preparation for this episode, including errata and suggested errata for various books. And they pointed out like the sort of de facto birthrights and frailty, which I think did kind of become the official ones in C20. Their birthrights are that they can speak all the anatomy languages and that they can learn arts. Their frailty is that they can't learn slivers. So, mm-hmm. Well, up to, f- they can only slivers up, up to four. Or, That's it. Yeah, yeah, up to four. Yeah. Which just means they don't, because they don't have an affinity, basically. So. Right, 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 right. What's, what's your opinion on this gender sidebar? I, if, are most dolls, and are most like mannequins and human figure toys and stuff women? I'm confused by that. Well, I mean, putting aside the question of gender versus biological sex, etc. Yes. I mean, dolls are also generally not anatomically correct in any no, but I'm sure, what are they tying it into? Why are they saying most are female models? Oh, the husk can mimic either of the meat genders. Because I think they're I think they're really leaning into department store mannequin as the default, like, thing. Is that different in the 90s? There's a lot of guy at department store mannequins. Yeah, I mean, I think the proliferation of vaguely male-shaped plastic <laughs> torsos has been yeah. a more recent development. Uh, okay. That's my sense. But So, um... Which one is your favorite? Um, I don't know. Like a Kubera, actually. I think. Right on. No, I'm, I'm setting aside any issues with the system, but I'd pick them as my second favorites. The yeah. Parasims are still my top choice. Mm-hmm. I, I actually really like them all. That's the thing. Like, yeah. I do also think there's potential for expanding. So in Emperor's New Coat for the Storyteller's Vault, I created two that were spliced between elements and. I'm fond of those. There's a lot of potential with doing stuff like that. Yeah, I still want Empire. I want the Flicker. Yeah, that, that would also be nice. I do also like how um, C20 adds a section about the anchor for each phylum. I think that would have been really nice here. So this week in the apartment where I'm staying, the air conditioner has been really like clunky and breaking down and makes me think, mm, mm-hmm. the parasim who lives in there is angry. Yeah. But anyway. Chapter four, building your face. The shortest chapter in all of Changeling. Well, at least the shortest character creation chapter, probably. Mm-hmm. There's a lot in here, though. 
There is. Um, yeah. And a lot of it is typos. Yeah. So it talks about quirks is your Gladeling versus Crofted. And it says your legacies, choose legacies just as if you're making a normal change. Like, so do they mean that Gladelings get Sealy and Crofted get unsealed legacies? It doesn't say. In the character templates in the appendix, the character sheet says legacies, plural, and then some of them have one and some of them have two. And some of them are under their house, but we'll get yeah. to that. And so we have the je, where now these are different numbers slightly. Like these the, are the ones I think they meant because... Yeah, when it, it makes says, more sense. The wilders to have lower banality than the grumps. And then it says in the summary sidebar that talent, skills, and knowledges are 15, 9, 5. Like, wow, some skilled in anime. And they get five dots in gif, gifts. They get five dots of gifts. Right, but... The slivers we've established are uh, based on your jeu. So, so what's the gifts? I guess it's realms. <laughs> guess. Okay, that would make sense. Yeah, like I said, it, it seems like there were separate editing passes hitting separate parts of the book that contained the same information and changing yeah. it into different things. But, yeah. Yeah. Then they get into the backgrounds of which we have two new ones. Yeah. Well, and I like the retinue description. You get a pig and cult. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. I want to play a mannequin with retinue. Everyone's like the neo pagans worshiping this store mannequin. Yep. And regard, which replaces status or title, I guess. Spending freebies, three points for glamour as realms. What? I assume they meant or. <laughs> do you know what occurs to me though is this book was written in the mid to late 90s and i was thinking about it and i was like you know at least some of this was probably handwritten on paper first and then yeah i feel like there's people new to desktop publishing yeah like even if they've been doing publishing a long time they're like oh my god i have a word file and i'm trying to use this new thing called indesign or something and or all this page maker yeah. But I imagine that someone saw Glamour or Realms handwritten and couldn't quite make out the handwriting and thought it was as and had no basis in the game at all and just typed it. And then in the editing, nobody caught it. That's mm-hmm. the kind of thing I imagine happened at least a few times. Anyway, we get an example of character creation. Oh, this is where I'm confused when you're talking about like the husk changes as you get older, but like it's a background. And we have nothing about backgrounds increasing during play. Yeah, because it's not as, like grumps get better husks or anything. It doesn't say that anywhere. But presumably they kind of would because they would get more practiced at making one. Yeah. So, yeah. There's a random note about the storyteller's role in character creation, which is like, okay. <laughs> oh, no, but yeah, I, okay, yeah. They need that. <laughs> yeah, it's like... You've identified a problem in an anime that exists in Changeling, and it says it's even more strong than in an anime game. I would love it if it, I don't know, gave some sort of advice on how the storyteller's supposed to handle it instead of just saying handle it. Yeah. So. Then we get some merits and flaws. I'll acknowledge there are a couple of interesting ones. I think the ones that yeah. I like are Water Under the Bridge for Ondines, which is a five-point flaw, but it's basically like Memento. You... Yeah. Every day you awaken, remembering nothing that happened the day before, unless you make a willpower roll of yeah. some difficulty. 
I also like famous anchor as a merit. I think that has great story potential. But then there's like natural husk, which is a three point merit to have your husk seem extremely lifelike. You still need at least one point in the husk background to do that though. So why wouldn't you just spend four points on the husk background? And it also like, what does the husk do besides make you look more human? Like a husk background. Well, mechanically, it helps protect you against banality, as we'll see next chapter. Yeah. But oh, it's like, so even <laughs> you would want a higher rating rather than yeah. this merit. So what stuck out to me is the babbling brook, or specifically the long-winded flaw. It's a one-point flaw for both o- for either ondines or parasomes, and I'm like, okay, ondines, I get it. Uh, parasome, I mean, th- that's just their frailty, isn't yep. it? Yep. Again, you get your frailty. It adds the requirement of a willpower role to their frailty, I guess. But anyway, that's it. C20 added cyclic magic, which I thought fit a lot better. Mm-hmm. But that's chapter four <laughs> in all of its glory. I take back what I said. I think chapter five is even shorter. So. Yeah, but uh, the density of issues comes up faster. So chapter five, Secrets of the Stones. That's not even a good title for what this chapter is, but... I like that art. I like that picture of that gloom. Oh, yeah. No, the art's... The art is fine. But at least we do get mechanics here, which I think are fairly the same, pretty much the same as in C20, except that reaping, which is their kind of equivalent of ravaging, similar to the Nunihi tearing glamour from natural sources, Mm -hmm. it has a lower difficulty here and more dire consequences because you can get permanent banality if you botch. It also says the Nunihi that... Uh, Nunahi can't muse mortals, which they can, right. according to. <laughs> Again, it, it seems like they forgot that between first and second edition. And in anime, can muse artists. I actually kind of like the musing system here because mm-hmm. even though the anime don't really go out of their way to seek mortal contact, they draw in the dreamers who do find them. And that's oh, how they man. gain glamour. And I really like that. Any anime in a museum? Yeah, for sure. There's also a note here about tainted glamour, so that kind of presages some of the dark glamour stuff that would be interesting to explore. Yeah. I would like to officially nominate for shortest subheader of all time, Calling Upon the Weird, the entirety of the section says, <laughs> Calling Upon the Weird for an anime is the same system as for Cathane. See, you change. Yeah, computer. that's not the only place on this page where it says that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and then we get the banality section, which is entirely cut and pasted from page 36. I checked. (laughs) Oh, and there's a fun thing where an anime's permanent banality ever reaches 10, he's immediately undone. But there's like a bedlam thing where later if their glamour's too much higher than their banality, it's... So I'm like, well, if glamour's 10, you're fine until your banality hits 10, then you're immediately undone. Anyway. Yeah. There's some notes here about slumber. So the slumber check sidebar, I think, is actually pretty good because it is like banality yeah. triggers. I think they kind of wrote it out of C20, I guess, because they figured banality triggers cover it anyway. Yeah, but, I don't know. Some of these triggers, it's a bit harsh, but I mean, it is. Yeah. And also, in addition, the following things may force a check. So there's things that will force it versus may force. Oh, Solomon's check. I thought it was banality. Solomon's. Yeah, yeah. That's the severe. No, no, this is a slumber check. This isn't banality. This is if you go into slumber. Right. Slumber slumber is the must. Somnolence uh, is the may. And the, but solomence is a long term. Oh, that makes more sense. Okay. Because yeah. those are like severe. Yeah. Probably it should also 
trigger slumber. But. Yeah. Here's where we get the husk mechanics as well. So whenever an inanime is in the presence of mortals or any unenchanted being, the player must roll her husk rating against a difficulty equal to the highest banality rating in the area. If the roll fails, the character gains one or more points of banality. If the roll is a botch, the player must immediately make a slumber check, usually only required once per scene. I would just, if her husk is not good enough, what does that mean? So you roll your husk rating against the banality. If you're around a mortal with banality six and you have four mm. dots of husk, you roll four dice, difficulty six, mm. okay. to not gain banality. So it's a clunky system, which they then kind of refined into stuff like banality triggers, but at least they made an attempt, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And then aging is just brutal. Although the fact that you can get a new husk pretty easily is not. Yeah. Here's the five years thing. Yeah. Every yeah. week you age one year, every point of temper banality age five years, but this isn't your, so you can be a childling who looks like a 90 year old, I think. For sure. You have like husk rating of five and then... Well, at the end of the week, you'll look 90. <laughs> Next week, you'll be 10 again. <laughs> Maybe, but looking different. Less green-skinned, perhaps. You know, or just looks like a different person, which also in the story. Yeah. Overall, I can understand why they wrote a lot of this out of C20, because there's a lot of math to like deal with here. Yeah. So. This is all like inspiration for other system in my head. Yeah, That's... yeah. There's notes on... How to treat slumber and bedlam. Like you said, bedlam isn't yeah. really as much. Actually, of a some problem. of these mechanics also, I said it reminds me of Exalted Fairport. It also, a lot of this reminds me of Demon the Fallen. Getting into maybe demons are just weird in anime. Don't say the D word, not on this podcast. <laughs> and then we have some rules about anchors. An anime can bring people into their anchors, which is kind of like enchanting them. Or if they're already enchanted, they can enter from the near dreaming. There's rules here for what happens when an anchor is crofted and then when it's destroyed. It's pretty rough with a big risk of undoing, but I like that there's the crofted system because I don't think that's actually in C20. And I'm trying to remember if Denizens of the Dreaming had a similar system for if they're, whatever the equivalent of the husk is called, if well, that like burns they, out. They have two things where it's like you can fashion a body or you can possess a person. Right, right. If they don't possess somebody... Yeah. And they fashion a body that then is killed mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah, they don't really have anchors. They have husk equivalent, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get to the book eventually. So those are the systems. Yep. We just blazed right through character creation. and. <laughs> yeah. But then we get to the fun crunch. Yes. Yeah. Chapter 6, Arts of the Inanime. Inanime cantrips. I really wish they had made this into C20. Like, they did other stuff. Like, they could have. They could have ported these. I suspect they cut it because generally compared with arts, a lot of these are quite powerful and also quite complex. Yeah. But yeah, given the risks that are inherent to unleashing, which is what an anime are stuck with in C20, yeah. they really got done dirty. Yeah. They need arts and realms. They could have gotten rid of the clunky attribute strength or stamina and just use the sliver rating plus your realm rating. Yeah. I will say I love the bonus successes the closer you are to your anchor. Mm -hmm. that's what that's one of them where you you need at least one success and then it adds bonus successes which is a thing i've never thought of for bonus successes but makes a lot of sense yeah no i dig it i think it's really a nifty thing so as with other second edition arts the dice pools for slivers are determined by associated attribute plus level of realm 
and we'll get to realms in a minute because those are also different. Yeah. But briefly, I'm, I'm just going to fly through these slivers and what they do, if that's cool with you. Yep. Oh, also, instead of bunks, they have what's called materiel. Not material, but materiel. Yeah, and I felt... I get where they're, why they did it, but it's... Yeah, it's a little weird. Cool. Yeah. Basically, they have to just be in contact with the substance that reflects the sliver. So, we have Petros, which is based on strength and stamina and requires mineral materiel. And the levels of it let you shape stone, create stone armor, gain mega strength, slow time down on a subject, or create an earthquake. So quite a mixed bag of stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then we have vertage, based on charisma or manipulation, requires vegetable materiel. You can control plants, communicate with stuff, create chimerical objects, predict the future, and basically do alchemy. We then get Aquis, the watery one, based on intelligence or perception and requiring watery materiel. It lets you read auras, absorb kinetic energy, gain mega speed, alter something's temperature, or do healing magic. Stratus, which is tied to the air and clouds. Again, leaning into my love of the Paracenes, I really like that it requires a music as your materiel. And that feels like closest to a bunk. Like you have to create music of some kind to use it. Mm-hmm. It's associated with charisma and dexterity, and it lets you shorten travel time, create visual illusions, fly, create multi-sensory illusions, or create chimera. This is probably the most dramatically powerful out of all of them. Like, level one, if you get five successes, which isn't that hard if you're in your anchor, certainly, it can reduce the travel time of a journey to one sixteenth of the time. That's pretty great at level Mm -hmm. one. And then finally, Pyros, which is the fiery one associated with strength or charisma. They really leaned into charisma as a thing here. Um, It requires some kind of flammable fuel as its material and allows you to control flames or intensify them, shift people's emotions, gain mega warrior skills, majorly shift someone's emotions, or create really big fires. So for anyone who has only ever dealt with slivers as unleashing machines, that's the alternative. Yeah. I hope I wonder if anyone's tried porting this to C20 the way the arts were. I think some folks have. I feel like there have been discussions around that at some point. There's also the realms, which are air, fire, water, earth, and spirit. And they roughly parallel scene, nature, actor, prop, and fey, respectively, mm-hmm. because they cover your surroundings, non-supernatural life, minds, non-living objects, and supernatural beings. One big difference is they don't let you target the thing. Like like if you if you have a single dot in say fire, you can just target all non-supernatural living objects, maybe the plant or animal, but yeah. you only get one die. And then more die more levels just as more dice. Yeah, so inherently more powerful as well. <laughs> oh, and there's an elemental affinity there's there's a oh my god experience me with that. Yeah. That's confusing. Yeah, so there's this elemental affinities relationship chart where it's like earth is opposed to air but favors fire and that kind of determines mm-hmm. the experience costs required to raise your realms or not raise your realms, um raise your slivers. Bonus I don't think it affects bonus points or starting points and just affects XP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a word on sovereign which says an anime aren't usually affected by it unless they accept a title from a cafeine court. Which is like, what? Maybe they just outrank. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> unless they <laughs> 
because like sovereign doesn't work on higher title but like sovereign works on rocks and people and yeah it seems like fey four or nature level whatever should be sufficient or prop depending or i I could see fey four in general but yeah yeah, i guess they just in a way from a sovereign perspective just outrank all she or anyone with any kid thing honestly i'm fine with that yep so they they sully themselves by picking up the title yeah we do get an example of cantrip casting which all right fine yeah that one worked i feel like wasn't there also a note about if you used tainted material somewhere? I thought that had some kind of impact, but maybe I'm misremembering. Maybe that's from the other LARP book. Ooh. This is like, like I, oh, like I read this before. Oh, yeah, I read the Shining Host Player's Guide has, has LARP rules yeah. for these. Well, we'll get there. Yeah. It does say that the rarer or more esoteric the material is, the more powerful it is. So that's how you determine the level, I guess, of the bunk. Depending on the quality of the material used, the difficulty of the cantrip is lowered, though never below one. (laughs) (laughs) Roll difficulty one. Thank the gods for that. So does that subtract the success and give you a success? (laughs) Why roll, I guess? Difficulty I. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I do like, and this is something which I wish the arts had, how each sliver kind of gives you this little bit of like elemental sense. Mm-hmm. So, like with Vertage, for example, you can roll Perception plus Vertage difficulty six to identify a plant. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I, I kind of like that. Oh, but also the realms give you little things too. Yeah. So, like the Earth realm, you can sense or predict an earthquake. Mm-hmm. Fire realm, you can sense fires. Air savants can tell how the wind is blowing, which I think most people can do that. The wind is strong and coming from the north. Seems pretty mm-hmm. straightforward. If you're in a craggy place or like in a city, sometimes it can be. Yeah, I suppose. Tells you what the north is, I guess. Yeah. And of course, the mannequins can never get to level five of any sliver or any art, but they can learn either one. Good for them. So that's an anime magic. Puissant stuff. So then chapter seven, Dance of Light and Shadow. The opening header is Dance of the Elements. And I'm thinking that's probably a better chapter title. Yep. (laughs) I mean, this would work for, again, that other. <laughs> yeah. But I do like this chapter because they kind of give a couple paragraphs on each of the major mm-hmm. phyla and just kind of, you know, talking about how to integrate them into a chronicle, their outlooks, their sort of ecological roles. Oh, there's a great a line on page 92 here. Where there's new fairy souls are coming from is a matter of conjecture. Talking about all the mannequins coming in the room. Some mm-hmm. believe that they come from the dreaming, while others believe they're formed from spirits of captured Cathayan in an anime. So there we go. Another talk in the world of darkness about what a soul is. Dun, dun, dun. We get some notes on the making war and Croft versus Glade. Mm-hmm. And some cool treasures. Yeah. Before we get to the cool treasures, can I read on page 93 one of the most useless yeah. paragraphs? <laughs> yep. So under the header, characters, it says... Sit back and relax. Think of the characters your players have made. How do they fit into the world you have created? What are their goals and motivations? Period. Do you envision them as great heroes, battling terrible evils and making vast sweeping changes to the world and everyone around them? Period. Or should their story be of a more personal nature? Period. How the characters fit into the story can be of utmost importance. If the wrong type of characters are thrust into the wrong story, the result is likely to be unfulfilling for both the storyteller and the players. Thanks, book. At the very least, it has nothing specific about an anime. 
that is nine lines of text that I will never get back. Yep. Oh, so. and then we talk about uh, conflict in anime as protagonists and in anime as antagonists. They can't be anything else. So you're either playing an anime or they're going to fight them. There are like three story ideas at the end of this, which are a group of Kithane is drawn into the Gloam Solomon conflict. I think I could have figured that one out on my own. Yeah. Like all of the sort of phylum specific descriptions have so many more story hooks woven through them. So, you know, your care, you said the characters is the most useless paragraph. There's a longer paragraph under endings. Yeah. I didn't want to read that whole thing. <laughs> no, but it's just, I'm like, Oh, is this talking about something about how you go? No, it's saying uh, you should run a short chronicle where you planned out the ending. Okay. <laughs> I would also not be surprised if like some of that text was cut and pasted from the storyteller's handbook. Yeah. Cause it's just very generic storyteller advice. Mm-hmm. The treasures though. These are, I love these treasures. Yeah. These are like top tier treasures. Like soup stones, level one pressure. Is that OP? I can't tell. It's great though. I think it's fine. I mean, yeah, yeah it's, it's useful for sure. I like how it's locally flavored. So like a Louisiana stone, drop it in a cauldron of water and it'll make gumbo. Yeah, you just boil it in a pot of water and then you get soup of some sort. Yep. Or stew or something like that. Truth water. This is my favorite treasure in this book. Yeah, it's pretty good. You drink it and you can detect the truth, but you also have trouble hiding the truth. But you put it in a bottle, it makes it clear. You can see it and you can't color it. I don't know. I just like. I would love to see a puka get some of that. Well, it talks about that. What happens when puka get it? They just talk non-stop but it's all the truth all the truth out at once so if people didn't know they had that that's a great way to really mess up oh i need that in a larp it's like that scene in ant-man and the wasp yes or all the ant-man both of those two anyway yeah uh salamander skin which is basically chimerical non-carcinogenic asbestos Mm -hmm. i think the forget-me-not might be my favorite okay yeah that's cool you can copy books and then paste them into other books Yes, by pressing flowers. Master Puppet was like, uh, I see where they're going. It's creepy. But... Yeah. Bag of Wind. I'm really letting my um, my love of 90s TV fantasy miniseries come out here. But did you ever see the Odyssey 90s miniseries with Armando Sante? Nope. So Aeolus is played by Michael J. Pollard in that. And it's kind of a running joke in my house between me and my father because... I mean, it's just like some of the most ill-suited casting in film history. Because like the God of the Winds, you're like, wow. And they get, he's like, guess who's the God of the Wind? I am. And it's just like, oh. <laughs> Isabella Rossellini as Athena, perfect. Yeah. This on the other hand. But yes, I like this treasure. And then we have uh, Movers and Shakers, which are the NPCs that don't get stat blocks. Yes, the famous ones. Yeah. Or as famous as an anime can be, I guess. Johnny Appleseed's Kubera that was watching over him. His muse wife, kind of? I don't think he met her, though. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I love that she has multiple anchors. I'm like, wait, wait, what? Yeah, so, she's an apple tree, and she's like, wait a sec. Her anchor is all of the trees he planted. Yep, which maybe she's in trouble now, but maybe their descendants also work. I like Chops Harper. Oh, I do too. You screw this. I want to be crofted. I need a, yeah. I need a clarinet. One of the writers clearly loves jazz because yep. it just like keeps coming up in association with the parasites. Mm-hmm. Joe Magarak, the steel worker Solomon. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I, I read that Superman comic. Yeah. 
And Mr. Punch, I'm like, that's a different take on the mannequins than the rest of the books we're presenting. I love that. The red caps find him not subtle enough. I can't remember. There's a Neil Gaiman graphic novel, and I can't remember if this is like a send up to that because it's been many years since I read it, but it is suitably creepy. Then Red Mountain Woman. So I like Red Mountain Woman. Mm-hmm. I feel like this points to the repeated missed opportunity in this book to talk more about Nunyi perspectives on the anime. And yep. again, I suspect it's because they felt themselves approaching that line between nature spirit and nature fae. And we're like, nope, nope, we're going to back away from that again. Mm-hmm. And it's it's such a shame because like there's so much to unpack there. Oh, that even makes me think of um, Mount Rushmore and craftedness. And anyway. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's a lot to open up from that. And this is this is an open call to someone to write that for the storytellers. Well. And then there's Sieglet, which... Yes. What is this character? She's everything, everywhere. She's an oracle of the Wissahickon Creek in Philadelphia. And if she wasn't tainted to all get out when this book was written, she sure is now. But she came from somewhere in the Norse lands too, originally. Yeah, apparently. Although, like, why couldn't she have just been from there? Because, I mean, there were an anime here. So they referenced that, like there was this obscure i guess pagan cult in the old country that worshipped her and brought her over to pennsylvania mm-hmm. in colonial times wait what did they do did they bring over the was she crofted for a while i don't know maybe they just put her in a bucket <laughs> and then dumped her in the river i don't know yeah i i really don't know what to make of her but i'm always happy to see more philly representation yeah. so. so then we get templates we got to talk about this i am so <laughs> torn on these i just want to say first of all in terms of character templates in terms of the write-up of the person the rough draftness these are actually pretty good comparative to to other character templates the actual character descriptions yes yes the character sheets on the other hand so i know there's the stuff with legacies are there other weirdness that you wanted to well for starters myth lore is under knowledges which yeah that's first edition. It's been a while, second edition's been out at this point. But... They keep spelling regard wrong in the background. Reguard. Reguard. If you look at like the realms on the Paracene character yeah. sheet, there's like artifacts of poor formatting. It still has the bottom line where it says like arts, realms instead of slivers, whatever. Yeah, but it does say inanimate the secret way at the top. So you're like, okay, it does. That's... But it says court legacy's house. Right, with one legacy under legacies. And and then it says circle. And I'm like, is that the official term for an anime group? Because we have not seen that anywhere in this book. Also, none of the four dot things have specialties, which also frustrates me. Yeah, let's just go through some. Okay. The Paracene Musician. The Court is Croft. Legacies Peacock. House Dandy. The uh, Naiad is Court Glade. Not Gladeling, but Glade. Yeah. Yeah. Legacies Bumpkin. House Pandora. It's like, okay, I see what issue they're having. Can I point out with her that it says, Equipment, you own nothing, but there are a few nuggets of gold along your riverbed. But under background, she has Chimera 3 and Treasure 1. Yeah. So it's like, okay. Yeah. Gloam Commando, Courtcroft, Legacies, Ringleader, House Regent. So we're getting like, I guess your legacy is your... But why would the other thing even matter? It only comes up... Why would you even care if you're crofted? You can't be uncrofted. Yeah, I don't know. So why even write? We have the Solomon from Ottawa. 
Oh, yeah. So there you go. Here, Legacy's Rogue Hermit for the Solomon. And Legacy's Peacock Wayfarer for the Kubera. Yeah. I do like with the Harasim who lives in a flute and the Kubera who occupies Lou Gehrig's baseball bat. It says with the Parasim, and I think just implies in the Kubera that like they stole their own anchors, mm. which I think is a really cool story hook. <laughs> just realizing the Solomon, he's in, he's in the Internal Flame in Ottawa, which is like a pretty big landmark. So I guess he should have that fame. But there is the thing on Canada Day. It comes in the news every year. It doesn't happen every year, but every time uh, people pee in it, that gets a big oh, story. He must be pretty annoyed about that. Yep. And then the Mannequin Mannequin. Which, you know, spelt differently. Her equipment is copy of Vogue Chanel suit. All right, one copy of Vogue. Why would anyone want to play this character? <laughs> yeah, she's kind of the Parasim and maybe the Kubera are like the only ones and, I would be really. And then so they're having this one template where you're like, this is kind of weird. Uh, yeah, and then and you've... then they change it for they have, to, they have like the sheets for you. Yep, which are still not right, but they're differently wrong. Yeah, well, we've got the knocker stuff again. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. So they have Court Legacy's title, Jou for the Circle. Okay, so they changed house to title, another thing that they don't get. So what does that even mean, yeah. title? What, right? Well, unless they accept one from a Cathayan court. Yeah. yeah. No, they have Grey Mare instead of Mithlore in the Gematria. Wasn't that a first ed? Was that a second ed book? Knockers was right on the cusp of the beginning okay. of second Did they ed. have Grey Mare Mithlore? That's the thing. They had Grimaire, yeah, because okay. Knockers was the third second edition book, I think. Okay. It also copies a lot of the, like, I mean, you have Sane Day. It, it is a four-page character sheet, which, cool. Mm-hmm. but It has regards spelt correctly. No. <laughs> Small mercies. Date of Awakening. So some of these was fixed. Yeah. Just not all of them. <laughs> not the ones that most players will actually be paying attention to. So... And then we end with an ad for Vampire the Masquerade Revised Edition. Mm-hmm. I just want to reiterate, this is a really good first draft of a book. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what I'll say. Given the paucity of information about the anime in C20, I do still think, mm-hmm. despite the editing flaws, that this book is really useful for someone yeah. who wants to use them. I think also very few of the flaws would, have, would matter for someone doing C20 anyway. Yeah, because you pull out any C20 book or any second edit book, you can't just straight up use it easily in C20 without making some changes anyway. So you have to. Yeah. And a lot of the editorial stuff is like, we know what they meant. but And I, I hate to say it, but this was also kind of the beginning of the sunset for the line, I think. I, mm-hmm. I don't remember which book was the first art house book, but it's coming up soon. Yeah. And I think it's really starting to show that like they were cutting costs where they could. So and this also just feels rushed. Yeah, for sure. And I think they I think they knew that time was limited and they had to get stuff done by this mm-hmm. point. It feels a bit snotty to have a wish list of things I would have liked to see in this book mm-hmm. with those circumstances, but I do wish there was more about the spirit versus fey divide. Hey, what's what's the uh what's the storyteller vault rules on just copying the text from here, editing <laughs> it, and then like altering the stuff that would need to be fixed for C twenty? I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that you can't quite do that. But yeah, they, they certainly could use a more expansive update. Yeah. So listeners take note if anyone wants to take on the anime as a project. Mm-hmm. And if you're looking for editing or other storytellers vault production services, I am available. There are 
approaches to design that I think would be interesting to bring into a Cthane game. There's a note about, I forget if it's in the glamour mechanics part or in the slivers part where they talk about how each phylum kind of has a different take on what glamour is, like what its nature and quite aside from how to collect it or whatever. And I like that. I do think that Boggins should have a different metaphysical idea about glamour than knockers do or puka do. Mm -hmm. And I also like that it presents these kind of alternative lines of political conflicts that aren't quite the same as seely unseely or noble commoner, but can kind of align with those. Yeah. I'm realizing one thing that's annoying about the Cathane is like all Cathane are Arcadian. Like it's, you have the court divide, but those are like political parties in the same Mm -hmm. country kind of thing. Not these, they're from different empires, but the empires have alliances between them. Like that's cool. Like that's the kind of thing I could could have been, instead of just having, you know, you have the Fomorians, but those are like all different groups and you have the Arcadians and whatever. And then they're all, you know, maybe the trolls and the are from a different group than the she, but they have associations between them. Anyway. Well, and it kind of makes you think about how, like when we've read the Kith books and the different sort of takes on the origins of the Kiths, some of them, they seem to have like come from Arcadia. And then some of them seem to have just kind of arisen on earth. And the mm-hmm. implication could be like, there must be some of them that never went to Arcadia. I feel like. So it's why would, <laughs> what would that, what would that do to a Cathane's perspective? Yeah. If they have no affection, if they never, I mean, it's kind of like with Tolkien, certain elves never went to Valinor. Although this has an interesting connection with the Tuatha de Danon. That well, that too. Yeah, 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 yeah. With their undoing at all. And there's no mention of Fomorians, which, didn't we have something about it at this point? So anyway. Yeah. The upshot of all of that is maybe by the time this episode is released, I will have started work on Kethbook Nymphs and... Mm-hmm. This is giving me some ideas for that. So. Yep. This is definitely actually giving me ideas for other projects too. <laughs> not, not even things that would be obviously connected. So, so we have um, two Discord questions, which are basically the same question from Sanchiger and Luis Armander, where Sanchiger says, doesn't the book say that the various splats are just some of the inanime courts, thus leaving it open that all the nymphs and sprites and whatever are just some of those other not described to your courts? And then Luis Armander says, do you think that there are other kinds of anatomy besides those covered? The Empire of Flickers comes to mind, but I was also thinking that not all cultures believe in the four classical Greek elements. The simple answer to both of those is yes. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, there's there's other empires, and within the empires, there's other phyla. Yep. And I will plug Emperor's new coat with the Nephili and the Chaparros. The anatomy of the fog and the anatomy of wildfire. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, we'll get into denizens later, but this is like a cross-cultural thing. It makes total sense because they're yeah, yeah, they're like everybody's got rocks, everybody's <laughs> got river, water of some sort, everybody's got air. That's for sure. What about Maybe. like sand? Yeah, that could be cool, but that still wouldn't be like just one place. No, yeah, yeah just... I mean, it wouldn't be like yeah, Earth culture, like human culture, doesn't have to like they have names and stuff from different human cultures, sure, and ideas, but it's not this makes sense to be like they are not you don't have an entire empire tied to one human culture or anything yeah go in a sci-fi direction what do anatomy look like from other planets so yeah lots of lots of food for thought i'm willing to overlook a lot of the sort of surface level flaws it's a really good rough draft like that's a backhanded compliment but it's very (laughs) good rough draft 
And in your C20 game, if you're going to grab us any other second edition, I don't think it's going to hurt be any more of a problem than any other second or first edition book. For sure. Anyway. Okay. So, yeah. You can, uh, if you want to contact us through the Empire of Flickers, you can uh, find our website, uh, changelingthepodcast.com. You can email us, podcast at changelingthepodcast.com. You can join our Discord, uh, hopping Discord, discord.me slash ctp. You can send us a toot on Mastodon, changelingpod at dice.camp. And we're on Facebook, Changeling the Podcast. No, we haven't looked into threads yet. No. <laughs> but um, just heard about that today. Uh, yeah. Was and also YouTube. Yeah. Changing the Podcast YouTube channel. And yeah. Uh, once again, I'm Josh. I'm allegedly Puka. And if you're going to be crofted, make sure you end up as a jazz musician. It's in the trees. It's coming. Aside from the third-hand window unit air conditioner as an anchor for a peevish paroseam, consider some of these other summary options for your inanime. A friendly kubera who offers much-needed shade on a sunny day. A sinister gloam who oozes forth from the asphalt slowly melting on the recently paved street. A crofted ondine gone mad from being trapped in the ice maker of the pop-up smoothie shop. The possibilities are endless and everywhere, so be sure to treat all inanimate and vaguely elemental objects with respect, because you never know what might be hiding inside, and with the power levels of the second edition slivers, there's a chance that smoothie might mess you up something awful. Our podcast offers inanime insurance as one of the benefits for show patrons, one of which you can become by signing up at www.patreon.com slash changelingthepodcast. Others who have done so, and thereby get a shout-out at the end of each episode, include Derek, Dorkadus, Oreo, Roz Caboose, Sandjigger, Seija, Terry Robinson, and Tricerabeth. If you dig our show and want to help us out, we appreciate reviews on the podcast listening platform of your greatest convenience. Feel free to stop by our Discord at www.discord.me ctp for more information and conversation about all things Fae. Many thanks for attending to our yammerings, and until next time, while you're keeping an eye out for ambulatory sentient stirrings of our planet, keep on dreaming.